Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. Today's topic, how to be funny. Joining us for this episode is Stephanie Hayes, who became a Times columnist back in March. Yes, that's right, as the pandemic was kicking in. In fact, we thought we'd ask her to read a little from that first column by way of introduction. Stephanie? Sure, happy to. Thank you. Here I go. In the before times, I was an editor here, running our features department. For those who don't know, being an editor is an exercise in tasks in approving things and sitting in rooms. When you're an editor, there's always something to do. But I decided to return to writing. I would be a columnist for the Times, specializing in humor and Tampa Bay life. I made a list of fun things I would write about. I posed for glamour shots, laughing into the middle distance without collapsing into my neck. It's a technique I will share later in exclusive subscriber-only content. A week ago, My team bought me a cake to say bye, and we went out for a drink, and even then the restaurant seemed less busy. It was a portend of the cognitive dissonance that lay ahead. I am not talking about Tom Brady joining the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I had planned this break between two jobs. My husband and I saved to go to Spain, a bucket list trip. Instead, I am here with all of you and away from all of you. No tasks, no old job, no new job, no Tampa Bay life. Sports are gone. Restaurants and bars as we know them are gone. Theme parks and gyms are gone. As I write this, people are debating closing the beaches, taking away Tampa Bay's time-honored tradition of sneering at tourists on beaches and proclaiming we know better than to go to beaches this time of year. We are not to touch. We are not to gather. Our children cannot play with each other. We read dispatches from Italy warning us to take this seriously, which we must because people are dying. That means thousands are going to lose livelihoods, and we don't know when this will end, how it will end, or if it will end. I wrote a different introductory column, but it seems ridiculous now. Those photos seem ridiculous now. I have not worn makeup in six days. I have turned into reek from Game of Thrones. So, Stephanie, you may be the only person in the world to have launched a humor column during the pandemic. Um, we, we don't have any, we really don't know if that's true, but it seems like it's true. No one else would be this stupid. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's a unique responsibility, right? Yeah, and I just want to say that that column was from March, and it was cute that I, it was like six days in, and I'm like, oh no, I'm so gross. <laughs> now that we're on day what? Now you're like four months, five, what are we, I don't five know. months in? It's just <laughs> adorable to think back. Um, yeah, this has been weird. It's funny. That word responsibility always gets me because I, I get that sometimes from readers like you have a responsibility. And I'm always like, I'm not Spider-Man. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think I'm out here to like save a school bus full of children careening off a cliff. But um, 
it is kind of wild that I started this in this time and it sort of crystallized for me what that quote unquote responsibility is, which is not so much to say what's right or wrong, but sort of help people get through this and to be, um, to find those things that kind of make us human and to distill this moment and, um, help people understand this world that we're in. You know, I'm one of you. I think that's really the function of a columnist is not in my view anyway, or what I'm trying to do is not to, to be right or wrong, but to be one of the people and to talk about these things that we all feel. And so that's sort of the spirit that I have been approaching it in, but it's been a learning curve as I (laughs) dove into this. Did the pandemic change what you wanted to do with your column? Over the years, we've had different voices. People were political columnists, sort of a current events columnist. Like, how, how did it change what you wanted your voice to be? It didn't change what I wanted to do exactly. You know, when I started this, I, I always wanted it to be a humor column. I always wanted to write with a certain kind of voice, which is my voice. I never wanted to be a political columnist. And I think, like, that's an important distinction because everything is political, now, I mean, everything touches politics, the personal is political. And it's not that I'm not a political person. But I think there's a difference between being a political writer and touching on the political, you know, so I never wanted to be that. But I did have this hilarious, ridiculous list of columns that I wanted to write, you know, before the pandemic. And it seems so silly and quaint now, because none of these topics matter anymore. (laughs) And I remember, as I described in my initial column, we were going to go on vacation and we had to cancel our trip. And I wasn't supposed to start my job yet. And this was literally all unfolding in real time. And I was sitting on the couch watching Love It or Listed on HGTV for the 25th time going, what am I going to do? And I, I went for a walk. My husband was like, you should, you should walk. You should go outside and get some vitamin C on your skin <laughs> and walk. So I, I walked on the Pinellas Trail and just I was just crying. And it was, you know, the Times was having financial trouble because all the ads were dropping out because everything was closing and everything felt so uncertain and I didn't know what to do. And I talked to Helen Freund, our food critic here, and my friend, and I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, you have to immediately yesterday get One Dead in Attic by Chris Rose, uh, who was the columnist at the Times Picayune after Katrina. She's from New Orleans. And she's like, just read it. It'll make you feel better. So I immediately got One Dead in Attic off Kindle, started reading it. And it kind of brought everything into focus for me because what Chris Rose did in this moment after Katrina was walk through life with everybody. And I mean, his columns have humor, they're not humor columns, but it was a really informative book for me and almost like medicine for starting this of like, kind of took the pressure off of, I don't need to have the answers. All I need to do is walk through this with people. And so I've been reading that and a lot of other books by columnists to try to figure out what our role is and the different kind of approaches we can take. I haven't finished it yet. I almost treat it like a bottle of pills. Like when I get stuck, I, you know, I'll go read it. I have a book by Dave Barry that I've had since I was young and Alexander Petrai and Mary Smith, Mary Smith. I'm not sure if that's the right Chicago Tribune columnist. Um, and then other essayists like that aren't newspaper related, like Sam Irby. I just read them and try to figure out how everyone else is making sense of the world around them. And that's been really informative for me. Stephanie and I have talked about how, ironically, it really couldn't have been a better time because it helps to have somebody step back and look at what's going on and try to give you sometimes a break from it and sometimes try to just sort of help you think your way through it, that the moment is actually 
it's a relief. I mean, like Stephanie is one of the few breaks in my week. Like I, I feel like there's like, I'm editing uh, COVID deaths and um, we're doing all this protest coverage. And, and then suddenly there's reasons why you should go to Disney World right now because, you know, you're crazy. Don't, don't go. <laughs> yes, it was, the way. it was mocking, but. <laughs> yes, <it's> satire. <laughs> um, but I, has, haven't you felt that way too, Lane? I mean, like when you read Stephanie's columns, it's like, okay, it's a, it's a break. It's a breath of fresh air. It is. And I feel like we haven't had anything funny in the Times in probably 15 years. So it's really nice to be able to like get a smile when you're reading the paper for once. Um, yeah, I mean, the topics you've tackled have been so far ranging and it's just been delightful to like look in on your new puppy and you know, <laughs> look out on like, what are we doing out here when we're sitting on the sidewalk? And I just, I think readers have really responded too. Do you, you want to talk you. a little bit about that? Like how... What readers have said to you both, I know you're getting good and bad, but yeah, a lot. I get a lot of emails. It's funny because it really shows the divide of um, when my columns run online, I don't get a lot of emails. I get a couple maybe. And then I hear mostly on social media from people um, if they want to say anything. A lot of times they don't. And I think about when, how I consume media online and I, I read it and move on. You know, for the most part, it's, it takes a lot to sit down and write a letter. When my stuff runs in print, I get tons of emails the next day. So much so that I've had to set up some personal rules for myself around that of just, you know, when I first started, I would check my email at all hours of the day and then I would get a nasty one and it would like ruin my Sunday bike ride with my kids or whatever, you know, my kid and um, my husband. So I've had to say like, okay, Monday morning, because I know the column ran Sunday, I'm going to have coffee. I'm going to get breakfast. I'm going to do some things before I log on to my email <laughs> just as a mental health move. But for the most part, I will say overwhelmingly, they've been extremely nice. I get fan mail every day, which is really cool. Nothing, not a, anything I ever expected. And they far, far outnumber the nasty ones. I still do get nasty ones. I got one today that was like, subject line is, I bet you think you're funny. <laughs> like, I haven't opened it yet. Um, but it was sandwiched between several fan letters. So I'm like, you know, what are you gonna do? To be universally beloved is a trap. So I <laughs> think if you are, you're, you know, you're setting yourself up for failure. The thing that I like to hear the most from people is not universal love or hate. It's more like, this really made me think. And I, I do hear that a lot, you know. So I feel like if I can crack through some hard exterior and make people kind of marinate on something using humor, I, th I feel as though I've done a good job for the day. But the readers are really nice. They're very sweet. So, you know, I, journalists, I think, as a rule, are pretty funny people. When you're, you know, when you're talking to them, there, it's. I mean, that's part of the reason we love the business. So we're surrounded by all these funny people. But I don't think a lot of us know how to write humor. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about your recipe. What goes into it? You know, what are you thinking? Yeah. Um, I mean, I wish I could give you an exact recipe, like Emerald or something. <laughs> but some of it's instinctual, you know. Um, 
Um, but there are some rules that do help me and I think can help other people. And uh, there's two S's, if you can remember. The first S is simplicity. So you don't have to overdo it. I think, you know, just saying, hello, everything is bad is like a very funny way to start a column. You know, it doesn't have to be a big elaborate sentence. It can be simple. And that's kind of the structure on which you start. And then the other key is uh, specificity. So getting specific. And that's really in terms of metaphors and, and language and things that I'm using to make a point. So a good example, I did this the other day is like, you know, I compared historical statues and town squares to the regret you have when you get a tattoo of an ex-lover, right? So that's kind of the premise. But instead of just saying, you know, tattoo, it's like, well, what does the tattoo say? And I think Elaine does this a lot in her reported work. You know, she has the um, the Lucky Charms example um, of the lottery winner who, you know, what cereal were you eating when you won the lottery? It was Lucky Charms, right, Lane? Yeah, exactly. We just yeah. talked about that last week. Exactly. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that. But you can do it in humor writing too. So it's like, it's not just a tattoo. It's it's Gary's tattoo from Tanya, you know, <laughs> and it's not, <laughs> and it's not just on, where is it? It's not just on his chest. It's on his pectoral. Like that's a way funnier word, you know? So getting specific in your references, I think is key for me. So simplicity is specificity. And then I would say a lot of editing makes everything better. Self-editing, um, if we want to make it a 3S gimmick, uh, <laughs> I do a lot of. And I was an editor for five years before I started doing this. It's sort of ingrained in my process now, but I take down the scaffolding. You know, we have that example where a building goes up and there's scaffolding all around it. And then you take it away, you take the pieces away and you reveal the final product. So I do a ton of just cutting and and paring things down before I turn it over. That's sort of the formula I take. When you're editing yourself stuff, I go back and do like verb checks and like adjective descriptor checks. Do you go back and do like funny word checks? Like, oh, I can change chest to pectoral. Like, do you have that in totally. your Totally. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I totally go through and look at what language I've used and what words could be stronger. You know, you don't want it to sound like thesaurus soup. So it's like, it's a fine line between picking a stronger word and overdoing it, but I do try to do that for sure. So let's talk a little bit more about word choice, because I think that is, um, and I that's one of the things I appreciate about the way you write, Stephanie. It's it's very purposeful. You can tell, you know, that these aren't lo- these columns are not very long, really. We're talking about well, twenty inches maybe, but you're you're very purposeful in the way that you approach things and and. So going back through, which, I mean, every good writer, I think, you know, word choice is so important, but it makes all the difference, right? Mm-hmm. Some of these, sometimes it's just, it'll make it so much funnier if you think about a different word. So do those always come to you or do you take a walk around the block? Do you go take a shower like Lane does and then think about... No, know. it doesn't always come to me. There's, And I, I go back to reading. I think that's usually what I do if I get stuck is I go read another columnist. And I, I was talking about Mary. I, I really need to learn how to pronounce her name. It's S-M-I-C-H. <laughs> she won the Pulitzer for her columns and I have a big fat book of hers that I'm working through. And... Um, she literally wrote one column one day that was about stalling because she didn't have a column to write. <laughs> it made me feel so much better. <laughs> so I go read. Um, I will walk away. Don Draper said this on Mad Men. He's like he got stuck on an ad campaign on, on some episode and he said, you know, walk away and it'll it'll come to you once you're away from it. I always think of Don Draper 
I, we tell my stepdaughter the same thing when she gets frustrated at school, walk away, it'll come back to you. So walking away is so important. Um, but I think too, people need to give themselves a break and, and the time to walk away if possible. I know it's not possible always for breaking news people, but letting yourself know that taking a minute to read something is work. It's not that you're just on your duff enjoying a book. You are doing the work or walking away is doing the work and um, it'll come you know, as far as word choice, I try to just get stuff down. I try, to, I, I try to just barf up some stuff onto the page and then worry about the perfect word later. Because I think if you are, are sitting there stuck over the exact most poetic word or clause or turn of phrase, you're never going to get anywhere. So you have to get some stuff down. And I mean, it can always help to know where you're starting and where you're stopping. If it's not clear to you, you probably, you know, as we know, need to go back and report more and all that. But I also think there's great power in, in getting words down and making them perfect later. And also knowing that I write two to three times a week. So if it's not perfect, I have another chance immediately. <laughs> I think that's a good lesson, though. I think people often get caught up like it's got to be perfect the first time around. And I think so many good writers, it's about rewriting. It's about taking what you have and molding it a little better. I think David Finkel came to the Times once a long time ago and did a brown bag and talked about reporting in the Middle East and sending some dispatch over the phone. And he said, um, I heard it through the grapevine or whatever, some cliche. And it, it ran and he just felt terrible about it. And he was, at the time, he was like, well, the paper's a quarter. You know, what are you going to do? David Finkel came to one of my former newsrooms. And I, one piece of advice he gave that I still listen to is, if it sounds like a TV announcer might say it, take it out. Yeah. <laughs> Good rule. Stephanie, have you had um have you had readers writing you in with ideas yet? Are they trying to like influence you about, hey, here's what I would do? Yeah, they do. Which is I just told Josh, my husband last night, like I feel like I've recently made a breakthrough because with them as somebody that they know is gonna be there to to write about all nature of things because they have started doing that. They'll write me I'll I'll write about something totally random like Disney World, and then they'll write me an idea about schools, you know, so it's nice, because I think that they are starting to understand that I'm someone who can work through some of these issues for them or with them, I think I prefer with them. So they are doing that, which is cool, you know, some ideas are better than others. But I try to thank everybody or a lot of times too, I'll, I'll get ideas and send them along to the reporters in the newsroom. I just feel like it's nice to have that connection with readers where they feel like they can reach out to me because I'm a personable voice. And then we can get the story to where the story belongs, even if it's not for me. So they've been very sweet. I, I'm very, I'm becoming very fond of the readers. And the other key is I'm very liberal with the block button if they're abusive. I have no problem hitting block <laughs> and not engaging with people who are just going to abuse me or be openly racist. Um, I don't have time for that. I don't have the mental health space for that. And, you know, I move on from them very quickly. So Lane says, um, somebody called you the voice of the Tampa oh Bay boy. Times. How do you embody being the voice of, of a newsroom? Oh, my God, I have no idea. <laughs> I, know, I wondered when I read that, I was like, is she going to be happy about being the voice? Or is that like, no, hell no, I didn't want to be the voice. That sounds like a lot of pressure. Yeah. I don't mind it. I don't know if everyone wants it for me. <laughs> There's a lot of voices at the at, at the news uh, organization. And I think that's what makes us, you know, the voice of the community. I think I'm one voice. I certainly don't think I can speak for everyone. And that's been a challenge in these times that, that we're in, you know, with racial injustice and social equality and stuff is like, as a, a straight white cisgender woman, I can't speak for 
a lot of people and what they've been through, and I don't want to. That's not my place to. All I can do is speak from where I sit and and say what I think. So I don't know. I don't want to be the voice for the whole Tampa Bay region because I don't represent the whole Tampa Bay region. What I want to do is try to tap into some commonalities that we all have and things that we can share and use that as my launch pad instead of a very narrow point of view, if that makes sense. Well, I think one of the reasons, you know, readers connect with columnists and, and, and you specifically too is they see you, they see your picture, they hear your voice because you're not writing like, you know, inverted news style, inverted pyramid wise. Did you and Josh have to have discussions about how much of your personal life and your family life you're going to be willing to share in the pages? Yeah. Josh, for you guys who don't know, her husband's a journalist too. Yes. My husband is our engagement editor at the time. So he's oversees all our social media and this podcast and all sorts of stuff. And we actually met in the newsroom. But yeah, we absolutely had to talk. And I have another layer of um, complexity to it because I have a stepdaughter. I have a nine-year-old stepdaughter. I don't have any biological children, but we share her 50-50 with her mom and her husband. So there's four parents in the mix. And so, you know, I have to be very thoughtful. It's like I can't make every decision as I would for a child who was just mine. We're in a very healthy situation, a blended family situation. We get along and, you know, we all had dinner together for her birthday and stuff. And it's, it's great. But I did reach out to her mom when I was starting this job and say, here's my plan. Here's what I want to do. You let me know if there's any problems at all. And I talked about it with Josh as well. She does appear in my columns. I don't name her. I don't put her name in the column and I don't share her photo. From the social media aspect, when I started I wanted to keep my public-facing social media that I developed over my years as a journalist because I had a good following already. And also I wanted my um, column in my social media to reflect a real sensibility, you know? Here's what I'm cooking. Also, here's my column. You know, this is, I'm a whole human being. What I did do is take all of my stepdaughter's photos off of Instagram and Twitter when I took this job because I just felt like she's too young to make that decision on her own. And it's not fair of me to make it for her right now. So she's still on my Facebook, which is private. And I really like readers. If you try to friend me on Facebook, it's not going to happen. Don't be offended. I just that's for people that I know. But my public facing social media is wide open other than her face and name. And when she gets a little older and she wants to do it and all the parents agree, I'm good with it. But I feel like that's the best approach right now. Stephanie, can you talk a little bit about your evolution as a writer? So Lane says you've had like every job. Yeah. At the Tampa Bay Times. I have. <laughs> yeah. So I, I don't have like a, a highly pedigreed journalism background. I, uh, I've i lived in this area since I was 11 and, you know, never had a ton of money and went to St. Pete College for two years, which is our, you know, state college and lived at home and worked retail jobs and worked in a restaurant. I was a hostess at the Melting Pot. It was like the worst ever. Which um, just closed. <laughs> there goes our sponsorship from the melting pot. No, it just closed. It's dead. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. So imagine being a hostess at a place where everybody takes like two and a half hours to eat. There's a lot of standing at the podium. <laughs> it's not a lot of turnover. Anyway, that's that was sort of my life. It was a little bit, you know, just working to get through school. And uh, then I transferred over to USF and got an apartment with a roommate and got a job in the newsroom at the Tampa Bay Times when I was 19 in the Carrollwood Bureau, which doesn't exist anymore, a small bureau. And uh, as an editorial assistant, just doing errands for the office. And when we used to get faxes, I would pass those out <laughs> to people. 
and so on and so forth. And I just, I've always just worked in the newsroom. I've never had internships or anything fancy, just worked to pay my apartment bills and um, started writing more and more. I've always been a writer my whole life, just in various ways. And I, I always tell people like, once you're in the newsroom and they figure out that you shower semi-regularly and can string a sentence together and will go out to a crime scene or whatever, you're good. <laughs> like just get into the newsroom and show that you can do it and you're going to be good. And that's exactly what happened to me. So I, I worked up from being an EA to covering community news and West Chase. After that, I, I did some rotations of features and that's how I really got interested in feature writing and developing my voice um, with, with our old Floridian section back in the day. I went over and wrote obits. I wrote feature obits for uh, a year and a half. I wrote 350 of those epilogues, uh, which Maria used to oversee with Kristen Hare, who's wonderful. I was a GA. I covered higher education. I worked at TBT, our alt weekly for a while, doing like entertainment and nightlife reporting. Oh, gosh, I was our performing arts critic for a while, going to our theaters and covering classical music. And I do have a background in performing and acting and stuff. So that was a good fit. And then I moved over to editing and running our features department, gradually working up from there. So, you know, I, I always tell everybody when college kids ask me, like, how can I get your job or how can I get a job as a music critic or whatever? And I say that you can't. You have to um, do a lot of other things first and you have to get a really good foundation in journalism before you can do exactly what you want. And I feel really lucky now to be able to kind of pull back and make the choices and do what I want and do me, which is how I feel this year is going. Was this always an aspiration somewhere down the line to be a columnist? You know, it's funny. In the back of my head it was, but I hadn't thought of it for ever. I mean, I love Dave Barry growing up. My dad got me on Dave Barry, which I told Dave Barry when I met him at the reading festival. And he was like, oh, your dad. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> like, sorry, I don't know what to tell you, but that's what happened. <laughs> so I've always loved humor writing and columnizing. And it was at one point a, a serious aspiration for me, but it didn't seem realistic because I was in the middle of all those other things that I just described and I wasn't there yet. And so I kind of let it go. And over the past five years editing, I hadn't really thought about it at all because I, when I'm, I'm not trying to be Pollyanna-ish. I really loved my last job and I loved the features department and the people and the journalism. And I do love editing. But um, we were at an editing retreat in December. Uh, Maria was there and Ellen Clark, who now runs our features department, I don't think she was gunning for my job. She was sincere. <laughs> she was like, just said that she missed my writing voice, basically. And that I would be good at that. And it kind of set off a, a light bulb of like, oh, my God, I did want to do that at some point. You know, so I talked to our editor about it. And, and it was just really important to me that I do it on my own terms. So I feel like in a way, I have always wanted to do this, but I forgot about it for a very long time. And I feel very lucky to be doing it right now. Well, we're glad you remembered. <laughs> <laughs> it, it just, I don't know. There's a feeling you get when you are doing what you're supposed to be doing. I know, Lane, you probably feel that way all the time. It's a spark. I, right before I, I made this move, I wrote something about Lady Gaga and her album Art Pop because she was online talking bad about it. And I love Lady Gaga, a little monster. And I wrote like a defense of Art Pop, um, her album. And I didn't care if anyone read it. I just felt like writing it. And I felt that, that feeling you get, that energy, that little high, you know, and I was like, I miss this. <laughs> I want to do this again. And I feel that a little bit every time I write a column, which is so cool. 
All right, we're gonna, we'll share some of Stephanie's columns on our Facebook page, and we'll put a link to her author bio when we post this podcast, so you can check out. It's really easy. It's tampabay.com slash Stephanie. There you go. Oh, if you have a question. Can I also plug my newsletter real quick? Plug it. Go ahead. Okay, we have a new newsletter uh, coming up in, I don't know, the next few weeks. I'll be starting a newsletter. It'll be weekly, and it's going to be kind of behind the scenes of how I pick my topics and then just some other fun stuff about my life. I'm think I'm going to treat it like a my live journal from 2001, basically, where I just talk about what's going on in my world. So if you want to subscribe to it right now, you can at tampabay.com slash newsletters, and you can, do, you can see all our newsletters there. But if you want to get that, go ahead and sign up now. We'll share that too. Um, if you have a question for Stephanie or Lane or want to suggest a podcast topic, find us on our Facebook group or email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Austin Fast. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.